with your camera and you only had 24 photos. You put it in an envelope in the post and then about a week later they came back looking a little bit like this. Uh, excuse the slightly dodgy haircut in, uh, in this one. But they came back either beautiful and uh, coloured so you could see what they looked like or they came back and you realised you hadn't put the flash on and there was nothing you could do about it because they weren't instant and you couldn't change them. Uh, this particular pack of photos was taken back in 1987 and if you fast forward 36 years to now, we live in a really different world. So if I want to take a photo, I can get my phone out, I can look at it straight away. If I like the photo, great. If I don't, I can delete it or I can just alter it slightly to make it a little bit more how I want it to look because we live in a much more instant world. Uh, nowadays, if I want to do shopping at 7 o'clock in the morning online, I can have it arrive at my house by 10 o'clock that evening. If I want a full meal prepared and cooked and ready for me to eat in five minutes, I can simply just put it in the microwave. I don't have to write letters and put information in a, in a mailbox and wait for it to be delivered. I can simply send a message and then I can know whether they've received it and read it or not because the blue ticks come up. And if they don't reply straight away, I can get angry. So we live in a world where actually much of the waiting has been taken out. And as Louis look forward to this season of Advent, we're going to begin a new series called What Are We Waiting For? And just as an aside, that was also the name of a, a performance that Riverside Performing Arts used to tour around local secondary schools, which looked at the whole area of sexting and sex and relationships. So hopefully we'll remember the right talk this morning, otherwise it's going down a whole other angle. So Advent is a time of waiting, waiting with the anticipation of something that is yet to come and that we celebrate at the end of the month with the birth of Jesus. Christmas trees were traditionally put up on the 24th of December, not because people didn't love having Christmas trees up, but because December was a month of anticipation, of waiting. We, they didn't want to rush the waiting, they wanted to be in the waiting. We haven't really managed that very well at Riverside House so far. Uh, just hands up, who's getting their Christmas tree next weekend, start of December? Yeah, a few people, yeah, the true people who love... Someone's got one up, you got it up already, Toby? That's amazing, brilliant. Fabulous, Toby, you win. Um, so no longer is this a time where really we wait. We don't wait for the things in the same way that we used to. So as we begin this new series, we're going to ask the question of if this is a world or a society that we live in now where we don't really wait anymore, actually, what is the meaning? What is the truth that we can learn in the times where we do find ourselves waiting and over the course of this series, we're going to look at different seasons of our life where we find ourselves waiting. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the season where sometimes we find ourselves waiting in the darkness. Those moments where we feel like God is absent or silent and we just don't know if he is there anymore talking to us. And just as a, a little bit of a warning, the story that we're going to be listening to later on in the service is of someone's experience of a time where they were with their loved one when they passed away and the way that they found hope within that moment. Now, most of us will have had or will have seasons in our life where we feel like we are waiting in the darkness, where maybe we feel like God is absent. But sometimes if you're like me, when you're in one of those moments, it's very easy to look around at other people and to say, well, their darkness is darker than mine, so I can't possibly make a fuss about my darkness. Or sometimes we might sit in our moment of a feeling that God is absent and look at someone else and say, well, why are they making a fuss? Because don't they know what I'm going on through here? 
But the wonderful thing about God is when the light gets turned out, actually the darkness is the same. Because whatever moment you're in, whatever you're experiencing, that is what God is interested in. There is no comparison, there is no hierarchy. It's simply God there with each of us in our moments. And the way that we're going to look to see where we can find God, even in these moments of darkness, is we're going to look back to see where God was. We're going to look around us to see where God might be. And then we're going to look forwards to see where he will take us in the future. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with these words that were spoken, but they're verses that come from the book of Malachi, which is the final book of the Old Testament. And these are the final verses from the Old Testament. And as we heard read to us, it ends with two more promises, one which says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And then later on, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Two more promises, which adds to the many, many hundreds of promises that we have found written throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Hundreds upon hundreds of promises where God speaks of a day where we will one day be back in relationship with him, restored to the full glory that he once gave us when we were first born in creation until that moment where we turned our backs on him. And God sends promise after promise after promise to say, I will restore that relationship. I will give you hope for the future. But after these verses finish, there is a part of the Bible, which is probably the part of the Bible that we really don't pay any attention to. Because as we turn the page from the book of Malachi, we simply turn onto this blank page before we reach the second part of the Bible, which is the New Testament. Now, uh, this morning, if we could have done, we probably would have had Dave uh, have this as his Bible reading, but that would have been weird because he would have just sat in silence for a few moments on the screen. But here, on this blank page, is where I think we can find huge significance as we think about what it means for each of us to wait in the darkness. Because this blank page of the Bible is not simply just a page which we just flip over and we find the start of the New Testament. That blank page represents a period of 400 years from the end of the Old Testament being written to the start of the New Testament being written. A 400-year period where there is nothing written about the promises that God was giving, where there is nothing written about God was doing. It's a period of time that is often known as the period of great silence. And for those people who were living in that 400-year gap, I'm sure there were many questions. Where is God? All these promises that we have heard about in the Old Testament scriptures that we have heard read or we have heard spoken, well, they're not coming true. Where is he? Are they true? Did they even mean anything? I can't hear God. What's God doing? Is God even there anymore for me? But actually, as we look back on that 400-year period, we can now know that God didn't change. He was still God. His promise of a restored relationship with him was still going to happen. His promise of a saviour, Jesus, God's son, down here on earth, was going to happen. It just hadn't happened yet. Jesus, God here on earth, fulfilled over 300 of the promises that we find in the Old Testament about a saviour who was to come, who would restore our relationship to God once again. The people living in that 400-year period 
didn't ever see those promises come true, but it didn't stop those promises being true. Right at the beginning of the book of Luke, so one of the other uh, stories that we find in the um, New Testament, we hear some other words said that are familiar that we've heard on the screen before. So uh, a messenger from God comes and speaks to a man named Zachariah, who doesn't think he can have children and he is promised a child. And he speaks of his child, who is John the Baptist, who was someone who was so important in the story of the life of Jesus. And this messenger from God says to Zechariah about the John the Baptist, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Words that we have just heard. Even though there was a 400-year gap, right at the start of the New Testament and the beginning of the Old Testament, those same words were there. God saying, my promise is here. It's true, I am still at work. When we look at the book of Matthew, the start of the Old Testament, in our context now, out of the four stories in the New Testament about the life of Jesus, it is probably the dullest start to all four of them. The book of Luke begins by saying, we're going to take eyewitness accounts. It's like a kind of crime drama. The eyewitnesses are going to tell us what's going on. The book of John begins, in the beginning was the word, a little bit like a Star Wars movie. But we turn over to the start of the New Testament and we read the book of Matthew, where simply there is just this family tree but actually the power that there was in that family tree because that family tree leading up to the birth of Jesus God's son here on earth starts right at the beginning of the book of the old testament God saying reminding us I have always been at work even when you couldn't see it even when you didn't know it I had a plan right from the start that came through until this day when my rescuer came down to this earth now, I don't know if you are anything like me, but there have been many times in my life where I have found myself saying, I can't hear God. What is God saying? Maybe that's something you feel for yourself. Can I suggest that maybe if you are in that moment and you feel that, then there is something maybe even more important that God wants to say to you than the thing that you're asking. Because this book is full of promises which God is saying to you. And if you feel like God is silent, maybe actually he's saying, I just want you to know how loved you are. I want you to know that you are my child, that the invitation to come into my arms is open for every single one of you. You just need to take it. That God is saying to you, you are forgiven, that you are chosen, that you are beloved, that he will always be with you. He will never forsake you. So many promises that maybe that is what God is wanting to say to you above the thing that you feel like you want God to say. So however much the silence and the darkness might overwhelm us or surround us, actually we can look back and know that God was in control, that he is still in control, that he is greater than the darkness and that his promises can be trusted. But even though we can look back, that we can look back and say, okay, God was at work, even in the times when people maybe didn't feel like he was. Actually, sometimes when we are in the midst of the valley of darkness, we simply don't have the energy or the feelings or the emotions to be able to walk through it. Because actually we find ourselves crumpled in the valley of the shadow of death, overwhelmed by darkness, and there is nothing within us that can walk us through that. And maybe in those moments, it is one of the shortest verses in the Bible that can speak so powerfully into us, into our situations. 
Because in the book of John chapter 11, Jesus uh, tells a story, or there's a record of a story with Jesus, where uh, some friends that he knew, two of the sisters came to him and said, Jesus, our brother is ill. He's going to die. You need to come and help him. And Jesus says, do you know what? This illness he has now, this is not going to lead to his death. It's going to be okay. Jesus goes on, some other things happen. And then we hear that actually this man has died. Jesus' response in that moment is the verse that simply says, Jesus wept. Jesus didn't get angry with them that they didn't believe him that this illness wasn't going to end in death because actually then later on in the story, Jesus does bring this man back from the dead. He heals him. But Jesus doesn't get angry with them. He doesn't bring that up and say, why didn't you believe me? I've said to you that this man isn't going to die. It'll be okay. Jesus doesn't put his arms around them and hold them and try and give them lots of comfort and solutions to what might be. He simply wept. Jesus doesn't even go and say, let's pray. I'm going to pray for you right now. It says Jesus wept. Jesus sat with them in both their unbelief and their grief. He wept with them. He was there with them in their moment at the bottom of the valley. I remember a time when myself and my husband John went through a time of real loss. And that evening, we were broken at home. People had sent us messages. We'd had flowers, lots of really lovely, thoughtful things, but we were really broken. And there was one thing that really stood out to me. An older couple came round to our house. Uh, we invited them in, and they simply didn't say anything. They lit a candle in our lounge, and they sat on our sofa with us while we wept on them. They were a visible representation of Jesus to us sitting with us in our grief, knowing that sometimes you cannot make things better, but you can remind somebody that God sits with them in that moment. We're going to hear a story in a moment uh, of Dan Hanscom and uh, some of loss that he went through and the night that that happened. And I was reminded listening to Dan's story, Dan and Fia, some very close friends of myself and John's. And so during this period of time that Dan will be sharing with us, myself and John and some other members of our life group spent a lot of time with them at the hospital, helping them, supporting them, walking them through this moment of darkness in their life. And there was something that someone else in our life group did that really struck me as a beautiful uh, reminder of how wonderful church is at being Jesus to one another. Because this particular member of our life group didn't know Dan and Fee very well, so didn't feel it was appropriate for them to offer support to Dan and Fee. But what they did was simply cook meals for my family and for um, the other family who were supporting them. So that when we were leaving our children with other people from our church, those our children, those other babysitters, were being fed. And it freed us up to go on and to support them. That church family, church community is a beautiful representation of God at work in the midst of the darkness. So let's just listen to Dan's story now. When we sing songs at church, that's important. Those words have real meaning when we talk about life and death, resurrection, being saved and having a saviour who loves and cares for us. Someone who meets us when we need them to and when we're at our most vulnerable basically on our knees. But when you're actually on your knees, in the shadow of death, spoken words take on a whole new significance. I was with my loved one when they passed away and I spoke these words to them, even though they couldn't hear me. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I remember at the time that I was speaking this verse, it was as though my life depended on it, but I also felt really numb and out of control, completely incapable of anything. The whole bottom had just fallen out of everything and I was totally vulnerable. It was a complete catastrophe. I said, God, I'm living this grief now. So whatever you do or say next will be the thing that is going to keep me moving forward and help me to just put one foot in front of the other. When I held my loved one and commended them into the arms of Jesus, it felt like these words became almost filled with a kind of real power in life. But it's so difficult to describe. It's like the darkness that had gathered throughout the room for the last eight hours had started to leave. I didn't feel any better. My loved one was still dead, but I was happy that I chose to say the prayers and words that I did, as hard as it was. And it was really difficult because I didn't feel the truth of what I was saying and I didn't feel any joy. I just felt numb. But the words took on this kind of power when I made the choice to say them, even though I was crying and in emotional agony. It was a total tragedy, but God was with me. His presence did give me strength, but I realize now I had to commit to saying those words and make myself, make myself vulnerable whilst waiting for the next thing to happen. I know all this because the room was so full of despair and hopelessness. And then there was a moment of tragedy. And in that moment, I was invited into this sacred and holy transition from life to death which owned the whole room and gave me hope because in a way the actual death was no longer a part of the conversation. Death had been and gone and now I felt I could reclaim some truth that my loved one is a child of God, that they belong to him and now I had the privilege of passing them into his care. By the end of that night I had nothing left to give. My loved one had died. But now I know that when we speak words that are true, that contradict the prevailing darkness in the room, when you feel everyone else saying, that's it, time to walk away, that's done, there's no hope. That is when we fight back. And that is when I understood how powerful hope really is. That choosing to speak words of hope in suffering and waiting when you have no control of what may happen, is an opportunity to encounter that same hope. There's nothing like falling to pieces before God. It opens up our soul and gets us ready for healing. It takes time and it won't always be easy. Alan Emerson, in his book, Luminous Dark, written at a time when he really was walking through a period of great darkness in his life, writes these words. My humble encouragement to you is to engage. Cry your tears before his face. Write your own lamenting psalm in the light of his presence. Shout out your anger and shake your fists if you have to. But make sure you are facing him when you do. It may not give you all the answers you are seeking, 
But whatever you have to do, just don't turn your back. As a good father, God just wants to hold you in the process. I think for so many of us, particularly at this time, as we look in the world around us and as we think about our own lives, we can so often question, why does God allow suffering? Why does he allow this darkness in our lives? But maybe if we take God out of the equation, actually there is nothing we have left other than to say it's simply just life. People get ill, it's life. Wars happen, people don't get on, it's just life. Isolation happens because people think about themselves and don't think about others. It's just life. But I wonder maybe if it's because we do know God that we are able to see glimpses of the world actually as it should be, which allows us to look at the world and say, this just doesn't seem right or as it should be. Paula Gooder, in her book, The Meaning in the Waiting, writes these words. We are living in the in-between this explains why we can have a vision of the world as God yearns for it to be, but not the ability to bring it about in full. In other words, we see glimmers of God's glory in the world, but have to wait for the time when that glory will suffuse the whole of creation. The world as it is now is not in the place God intended us to be forever. Yes, we can partner with him down on this earth. Yes, we can know his presence with us in all circumstances. But the wonderful truth that we have is that this is just the introduction to our story. And we have a future and a hope that is greater and that is yet to come. We have the hope of a future with God in eternity where there will be no more. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more illness or death or isolation or all of those things where we find ourselves in the valley because God says, you you are not meant for here. There is something even greater yet to come. This world is not our forever home. One day we will be with God forever, rejoicing, knowing that one day Jesus will return to create a new heaven and a new earth where it will all come back into God's glorious presence. We will be celebrating free from all of those things which keep us in the valleys at times in our lives. There have been some situations this week that I've been involved in where I've been crying out to God and saying, this is not fair. This is unjust. You need to make something different happen because in a human power, I can't. And I am frustrated by that. And time and time again, God has brought me back to the wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians, which says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That when we look at the situations around us, when we see the things that just seem to be not right, not as we'd want them to be, actually God says, look up. Because I am the unseen and I am there and I am still at work and I am with you. And actually we can be that visible representation of God to one another. The wonderful truth is that even when we sit crumpled in the bottom of the deepest valley and all we can see when we look around us is the walls of the valley and the trees that seem overwhelming, actually, if we look up, we will always see a glimmer of light shining through. That's the nature of a valley. That however hard we need to, actually, there will be that light that will be shining. And it might be for some situations and some circumstances, actually that beautiful light that is shining is simply the truth of knowing that there is an eternal home that is yet to come. 
It might be looking up and seeing that glimmer of light, which is someone else that God puts in your life who sits with you in the valley. It might be that moment where you just fall to pieces, as Dan talked about so powerfully, before God broken. But actually in that moment, you begin to feel that restoration happening again within your soul.